How do you start with no money whatsoever? How do you start a business with nothing? This is how. You think outside the box. You turn no's into yeses. Dave, are you a self-made millionaire? And what does that term self-made make you think in your head? Well, I started with nothing. I left school at 16, absolutely useless. Didn't have the price of a chip butter. No qualifications whatsoever. School teacher thought I was going to be a bum or a loser or both. Um, and I was set off into the world. I couldn't go to university or college because my mum and dad had no money whatsoever. They were very poor. I had to go and earn a living. And I ended up on a building site as a builder's labourer on £27.50 a week in the 1980s, which was the YTS, the Youth Training Scheme. And I was up and down ladders, bucket cement in each hand, pebble dashing all day, proper graft <laughs> for just over a fiver a day. That's how it started. Mm. So if you call that self-made, that probably is. Mm. Along your journey, are there though people that have helped you? So maybe it's more like team-made millionaire. Um, I want to say yes, but I'm struggling thinking. Mrs. F, definitely, the wife. I mean, I met the wife many, many years ago, and she turned up at my old car garage. I had an old, old car garage with a few old cars on there. And she turned up with this new car. She worked for NHS as a, a bioscientist. So she was very, very clever, far cleverer than I'll ever be. And she turned up with this new car. And I looked under the bonnet of this car, and it had this great big diesel battery. And let me tell you, ladies out there, if you're watching this, what you need is a diesel battery to get to the heart of a man, because let me tell you why. I got a set of jump leads, and I connected them to that, old, that brand new great big diesel battery, and jump leaded every single car on my pitch, because not one of them would start, they were all rubbish batteries. And it started every single one, so it was full of diesel, and a great big diesel battery in the front, and that's what clinched it. And I remember many, many times where Nicky, Mrs F, was there with an old rope on the back of that new Citroen, dragging big old transit vans sideways in the snow, up hills, trying to get them going. You know, I was just in my early 20s and everything were hard. Life were hard. You know, people say rags to riches. Well, my grandfather uh, was um, a rag and bone man. I don't know if you know what that is. Big old car with a horse at the front, taking old cloth, and, and just about anything away and, and buying and selling things, very, very small amounts of money. So that's a true rags to riches. How do you leave school at 16, onto a building site, builder's labourer, and go on to build the first new high street bank in Britain for over 120 years? That's what we're building. And then go on to make a Hollywood movie about it. That's bonkers, but so, that's true. So how did you do it? Well, we left school at 16, <laughs> useless, ended up on a building site, up and down ladders, bucket cement in each hand, five or a day. And I remember being in a chipper, because I was hungry when I was a kid, still am. That's why I'm fat. But I was hungry as a kid. And I remember being in this chip shop, and I asked for a chip butter. And it was 37 pence, and she's frying chips, and she's buttering tea cake, called tea cakes up north, but people watching this will have kittens because they think they have currants in, but they don't up north, it's a big thing. Tea cake. Butter and tea cake, put it chips on, salt and vinegar, put my hand in my pocket, pulled out 34 pence. I was three pence short. And I thought to myself, what do I say to her? I'm three pence short, she's already put the chips on the top. I think, I'll tell her just to take a few chips off. She's not gonna, tell her to take a few chips off top and I'll give her the 34 pence. 
I said, I'm ever so sorry. Can you take a few chips off? I'm just a few pence short. She said, no problem. Big handful of chips, Rob. Imp bin, like that. Boom, there you go, 34 pence. And I genuinely thought, I just don't want to be poor. Now that chip shop's still there today. And if I ever see it for sale, I'll buy it and sack her. But I was 16 years old and I had nothing. And I loved cars, Rob. And I thought to myself, I want to get involved in cars, but I don't have the price of a gallon of petrol. So how am I going to buy a car? How do you start with no money whatsoever? How do you start a business with nothing? This is how. You think outside the box. You turn no's into yeses. And I went round all the car garages in Nelson, knocking on every door, saying, have you got an old car I can take away as a part exchange? Can I take that away and bring you the money back? And most people said no. But one guy said yes. They were called Brian. And he said, Dave, I have an old car there. You can take it away and clean it up and bring me 70 quid back for it when you're done. I thought, real do. So I took this car away. I cleaned it up, scrubbed it up, advertised it for 100 quid, sold it for 97, which were 27 pound profit, even with my bad burning maps. And good and that, margin. Exactly. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, that's a week's wages back then. I thought, real do. Straight back up to Brian's house, there's your 70 quid, can I do it again? Of course you can, again and again and again. And then I learned another important lesson, because once you can pay up front, you can negotiate a better deal. So it went from one car to another car to another car to another car. And I thought, right, now we're cooking with gas. So then I left my job, and I kicked the sticks away, and I thought, right, cars. And then I got offered a van. And I thought, I don't want a van. Have you not got any cars? No, I've got this old Astromax van. It was a red Vauxhall Astromax diesel van. Fully cement it back. So I got it back with a big old chisel out my builder's uh, bag and a big hammer and bagging all this cement out the back and I scrubbed it up. Because back then, Rob, farmers sold vans. You bought a van from a farmyard. You didn't have these fancy dealerships you have now. Mm. You, you had to put your wellies on a walk, you know, in all the shite to get to the vans, you know. <laughs> So I cleaned it up and I scrubbed it up and I made it look like a car and I advertised it. And back then we used to use the auto trader and we advertised it with the mobile phone numbers. And the mobile phones back then were about this big, Motorola 3500X or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And it cost fortunes to ring. So I advertised it. Half past five Thursday morning when the auto trader come out. Ring, ring, ring. Hello, I'm ringing about the van. I thought the van? Real do. Out of bed, down to the garage, flogged in the van. Another phone call, Rob. I'm ringing about the van. The van. The van. Vans. Eureka. Now we're cooking. So never mind the cars. Let's start on the vans. So on to the next thing. And when these opportunities come, you need to be ready. Because it's so important. Because then I got a phone call about a bus. And let me tell you. Now, this was one of the biggest decisions of my life. I thought, boss, 18 seats? No, have you not got a van? Have you got any vans? So I thought, boss, right, go on, we'll have one of these. So I bought it. Big old transit minibus. Scrubbed every seat, took forever. Seat after seat after seat, never ending in seats. <laughs> Advertised it. Guess what? Thinking about the boss, the boss, the boss. And that. That decision was so important, Rob, that defined a big part of my life. Because I grabbed it with both hands 
I went from that bus to today being the largest supplier of minibuses in the country. Wow. So you never know when they're coming. Mm. But when they're coming, get ready to grab them. Mm. So do you think then the journey of business is being very set about what you want to do from the start or moving and evolving to demand and trend and opportunity? You must change, adapt and overcome because you don't know when the next opportunity is coming. Now back then, when I sold a few buses and a few vans, you'd have three or four grand in money, yeah. real money. Cash. Cash. Which is dying. Um, which many years ago, in Nelson, you could buy a house for £4,300. Because I bought my very first house in Nelson, 97 Corn Road. I only flogged it recently because then I rented it out. Um, so for four grand, you buy a house. So you'd have a really good couple of months. Because I used to work at night in the nightclubs, DJing. I used to work in the mornings on the markets and through the day selling the cars. So it was seven days, seven nights. When people say, oh, it's okay, you don't have to work hard. Let me tell you, hard work puts you where some good luck can find you. You don't work hard, it ain't gonna happen for you. Mm. You know, so it's 100 mile an hour, seven days a week, non-stop, save everything. I used to drive up down in an old van. And, you know, the fancy cars and the, and the fancy lifestyle come much, much later when I could afford it properly. But at the beginning, it was just drive anything that had more diesel enough, petrol in the other. Mm. You know, and many a time I'd be at the side of the motorway with an old vehicle broke down and everything I had in the world were in that vehicle and I'm the side of the road like this thinking, ah, just hoping somebody's going to stop because I had a rope in my hand that somebody not only could hang myself, I could perhaps drag this vehicle back off the motorway. And there were ringing Mrs. F, come get me, <laughs> with her new Citroen, dragging this old bus sideways up an hill. Mm. And we're winding up this hill, and I remember, and the rope snapped, and it was this big old Avico. And I'm reversing like this, trying to go down the hill, because the brakes won't work, because the engine won't work. And I'm going down this hill, going round and round and round back, and thinking, what am I doing? And thankfully, there were nobody behind me. But that were a regular occurrence. Life were hard. Mm. And it's only when you've had some of that that when you do have it good, you really understand what it's like. Mm. And most people, and this is very important, most people that's become successful and made a lot of money, they climb up a tree and pull the ladder up. They're frightened to death of anybody having anything. And you think, but why? Why are you frightened? You've got all the money you need. You've got all the things you need. You're lucky enough to have your health. Why are you frightened of somebody else finding out about a few... A few ways that they can do things themselves that they can improve their own life. Mm. It's bonkers. Mm. And why do you think that is? Do you think people have a um, fear of being knocked off the perch? They don't like other people succeeding? Why do you think that is? I genuinely think once they've climbed up that tree, they just don't want to know. See, I'm going to give 95% of my wealth away because I don't agree with leaving it to the next generation. I'm why? leaving something. Why? I'll tell you for why. Yeah. Um, one of my children is a frontline police officer, and my other one of my children works in the hospital. I said to him, look, you can do anything, but you can't do nothing. I'd rather you do a job that benefits society. I'll help them out with the home. I'll help my grandchildren out. No problem at all. Any health problems, I'll help them. But if you leave a large amount of money to the next generation, and you give them the right not to get out of bed in the morning and go to work, you will ruin them. Mm. Um, you will cause them nothing but harm. I have lots of friends who've got a lot of money who've left it to the kids and, and I've seen the deterioration and it's horrendous. Mm. You know, so 95% of my money 
will go back into society where it can do the most good and I'm going to spend the last five or ten years of my life making sure it's going to the good places and the right places mm. where I can see it's going to make a huge difference. And that's really important. Right? Mm. Um, you do not want to be leaving a huge amount of wealth to the next generation. The next 200 years of Fishwick's not needing to work. What's that going to do to them? Mm. And know? society. It's yeah. society in general. Mm. You just can't do that. Leave them enough to do anything but not too much to do nothing. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And what is it that made you work seven days a week for so long? Because some people don't want to or give up. I definitely get my work ethic from my father. My dad worked in the mill. He had two jobs. So he worked six till two in the morning on the farm as a farm labourer. And then he'd walk down to the mill in Barrowford and he'd do 2.30 till 10.30 at night in the mill at Barrowford. Then he'd come home and he'd get up at opposite four or five o'clock in the morning, my mum would make him a full breakfast and away he'd go home again. Now my mum were, were a weaver in the same mill, so they just worked day and night and my dad did seven days a week. So my work ethic, it comes from my dad. You know, I, I got up very early this morning and I won't get home, I won't get into bed till 11 o'clock tonight. Mm. It never, it never leaves you. And value for money, I like value for money. <laughs> you know, if I go somewhere, I remember going to Marbella and I went up to the bar, me and Mrs F were there, we had a lovely time. I went to the bar and asked for two drinks. I asked for a glass of wine for Mrs. F and a, a Diet Coke for me. Uh, and they said, 27 euros. And I said, how much? 27 euros. I said, that can't be right for two drinks. And they said, welcome to Porto Manus on Golf Week. I said, well, welcome to Dave Fishwick. There you go, have them back. <laughs> I'd rather go thirsty. I don't like not having value for money. Mm. I don't mind paying for quality, but I do not and will not put up with not getting value for mm. money because when you've had note and you didn't have the price of a chip butter and somebody's trying to charge you 27 quid, week's wages back then mm. <laughs> for mm. two fancy drinks with a fancy stick in the top and umbrella on the top. <laughs> you can stick that where it's undone shining and all. <laughs> but why do you do this, Dave? Why do you work seven days a week? Why do you keep going when you could retire for generations? What's driving you? Well, I think, what are you going to do tomorrow morning if you retire? You know, what am I going to do? Annoy you know? Mrs. F. Oh, she, she likes me out of the way. Yeah. You know, I'm down here now and I'll come back and I've, I've met all sorts of really interesting people over the last few days. And I'll go back and, I, and I'll say, oh, I've met so-and-so. And she'll say, never mind all that nonsense. Do you want corned beef, ash or cottage pie for your tea? Grounded immediately, <laughs> end of problem. <laughs> you know, she's just not interested. We've yeah. met some of the most famous and wonderful and successful people in the world. And she's always polite, but doesn't care. Mm. Doesn't care about the money. Um, just doesn't care about fame, fortune, or nothing. If people are proper, she likes them. Mm. If they're not, she doesn't. Mm. And tell them. Mm. <laughs> and but what drives you to keep going? Um, Have you got anything to prove? I like to think I've got nothing to prove now, but I would like to make a difference. You see, a lot of people, like I said earlier, that climb up the tree and pull the ladder up, what they don't understand, Rob, is um, it's like Monopoly, his life. Everything goes back in the box at the end. Mm. You don't take it with you. No. <laughs> There's some people that think they're going to try, mm. but what you can do is you can leave it behind mm. and really make a difference. And when it's my turn to lie down, and, 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 uh, and I saw my dad pass away a few years ago with Parkinson's, when it's my turn for that to happen, then I want to be able to lie down and think, yeah, I've made a difference. I've, you know, there's, there's a mark there that said that that's made a difference. You know, whether I um, 
whether I, I start a big animal sanctuary or a, a children's charity or whatever I decide to start, um, it will be big and it will make a huge difference. And I want to think that the money's gone back to society and done as much and, and committed to as much benefit as possible mm. rather than just go, like I said earlier, to, to the next generations of fishwicks that might drive around in fancy cars and jets and helicopters and all the rest of it. And, you know, to think that I've spent my life working really hard for that, I'd turn in my grave. Mm. But everything was back in the box at the end. Mm. Remember Monopoly? Yeah, I like that analogy. What about what... That's great. I have a foundation too. I started five years ago and it's very important. What about what selfishly drives Dave? Like, what do you get out of this? Is it money? Is it sport? Is it progress? Is it rebellion? What is it that drives you? Um... I think you've got to go further back in time um, to find what drives me. Um, when I was a kid, I'll go back to, to, to being 10 or 11 years old. Just make that or fall if you, it's, got, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a gradient. <laughs> so if I go back in time um, to when I was 10 or 11 years old, I was at school, I was kicked and punched every day. I was bullied terribly. It was horrendous. Uh, lives with me still today in my mind it was horrendous and one time in particular comes to mind um, I remember uh, I went to see the chiropodist with my mum and they said look his foot's really bad you know and I'm getting to a point here uh, we're gonna have to take his nail off he was so sore so they took my nail off it was horrendous and they said look he's gonna have to wear sandals so, uh, I don't know if I can show this on camera, but I think it's important. Let's try to. So, we're about this big. I had a pair of glasses, National Health glasses on, because we had no money for proper glasses. We had a patch over one eye where, where it had been knocked out the glass and a plaster over the corner where I'd been punched and kicked so many times that my glasses had come off and smashed. And there I were in the chiropodist where they took my nail off and then the chiropodist doctor said to me, Mum, look, he's going to have to wear sandals in winter so four foot tall patch over one eye glasses on sandals on in winter imagine what that did at school well recently i went back to the school and closed the school down after 80 odd years the school was closing and because my profile's been lifting they asked me to go back to the school and close it down now when i get really famous i'm going to be opening schools but at the moment i'm just shutting them <laughs> and i went back to the school and I ran down the school corridor and I took a picture. I've got it on my iPad. I've got a, a picture of some, where something happened that changed my life forever. And on that part of the corridor is, I was 11 years old and I was walking down the corridor, maybe 12, and I was walking down the corridor to that exact spot that I went and got a picture. And the school bully was walking towards me, called Simon. And he went to punch me. And I had my satchel here, holding on my hand. And I dropped my satchel clenched my fist and I hit him and I hit him and hit him and hit him and I won and I realized at that point of my life that he tried to fight back but because I've been hit and punched and kicked so many times whatever he did to me I didn't feel it. it didn't matter but I won and from that day on I've never ever been bullied again and it's that drive of never ever giving up and the regulators come after me with the Bank of Dave. You know, the institutions come after me. Um, all these different problems I've had, lots of people trying to shut us down. And you just never give up. 
And the four most important rules in the world are these. Rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And the next two are really important. Rule number three is never give up. And rule number four, the most important one of all, is never, ever give up. Because if you do that, I promise you, anybody that's watching us today, anybody that's watching out there, whatever problems you're going through, just don't give up. You know, that hard work will put you where some good luck can find you. Mm. And if you don't fail at something, you're not trying hard enough. Just keep going. Mm. If a lad from Burnley, with no qualifications whatsoever, from a building size, a builder's labourer, can go on to, to be building the first new high street bank for 120 years and then go on to make a Hollywood movie, then anybody can do anything. Mm. It's self-belief, believe in yourself, confidence, mm. drive. That'll push you forward. So that's a long-winded answer to your question, what drives me? Well, it's great, Dave. If I was Simon the bully and I was sat here, Simon, you're bully, what would you say to me? Now, yeah. I'd tell him what effect he had on me as a kid. But recently I saw one of the bullies from school a couple of, a couple of months ago who called into Burnley Savings and Loan, so I can answer, answer that for real. And he, he still tried to bend the conversation towards being a kid. But now, now I've no fear. I'm not fear nothing. I'm frightened of nothing and no one on the planet. Because what's the worst you can do? Kick and punch me? That's happened a million times. I ain't frightened of that. I'm frightened of nothing and no one. So that in itself drives you. And you need to tell people, look, this is the effect you have on people. You know, if I didn't have the demon drive that I have of, of, of having a terrible time as a childhood, then I wouldn't have become the person I've become. Like it or lump it, that's, that's who you are. And you can't change it. So rather than mess with the demons in your head, why not use it to fix things and to try and do a bit of good? Mm. Let's talk about your bank. Because I guess most people would say trying to launch a bank is somewhat crazy with the big monopoly that the institutions have. So it's quite a unicorn thing to launch a bank in the way that you did. So number one, why did you decide to launch a bank? Uh, and number two, take, take us on the journey of how much of a unicorn um, outcome and result that was. Right, so late 2008, early 2009, we were selling minibuses and vans and, and all sorts of cars. And my customers were coming to me for, for, for loans and finance, as they had done for many years. And I'd fill the forms in, send them off to the bank. The bank would give the customer the loan. I'd get paid for my bus. Real do. And then overnight, it just stopped. And I thought, hang on a minute. They just stopped lending, did the banks? And I'm thinking, well, has the customer's done something wrong? Have they not paid a bill? Have they got a CCJ? Have they moved house? Without telling anybody. Well, do you know what was wrong? Nothing to do with the customer was wrong. The problem was lying at the high straight bank. They just stopped lending. And I thought, either we do something here, we're going to have a real problem. You know, we just end up, you can't sell a bus at 30, 40, 50 grand without somebody getting a loan. Where are they getting that money from? So I thought, right, okay. If I believe in these people and I know what they're going to do with the money and I know what product they're buying because I built the bus and I know where they live. And I know that they pick kids up in the morning, take them to school, get paid for the contract and pay the loan at the end of the month. If I believe in these people, why don't I lend them the money? They pay me back. Let's have a go at that. So I did. And do you know what happened, Rob? They paid me back. 
And I thought, this banky malarkey, it's not that difficult. <laughs> so then I thought, well, how can I sort of bring that to a bigger audience? How can I then help more than just the minibus customers? Mm. So I thought, I'll open a little community bank. How difficult can it be? A tiny, tiny bank. As in you were going to set up a, a high street, a to, physical place where they yeah, could come that's in. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, right, well, let's have a crack at that then. Yeah. <laughs> so where do you go to meet some bankers that know what they're doing? Got to be careful with that word and all. <laughs> Steady up. <laughs> Down to London. Yeah. That's where the bankers are. So I, I met some bankers. I met the, the head of the banking association of the think tank, Andrew Hilton. And uh, I met him and I'm sat in front of him and he said, uh, where are you from, Dave? I said, uh, Burma. That put him off for starters. <laughs> he said, have you been to Oxford or Cambridge? And I said, let me tell you something about people that come from Burnley. We don't get them opportunities. You know, you're straight onto building site from Burnley. You do not get chance to go to Oxford or Cambridge. I've never met anybody from Burnley that's ever been. I'm sure there is, but I've never met anybody. And he said, well, what did you, your parents do? I said, well, my dad were a farm labourer, and my mum were a weaver, and then my dad went down tackling in the mill. He was fixing looms. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. You've not got the correct parents, you haven't been to the correct school, you've not got the correct education, and you're not from the correct place. You've no chance, man. And I thought, I want to punch him in the, in the face. You know, you, you think, who are you to tell me I've not got the correct parents that brought me up and fed me and clothed me just because I'm not a banker or just because I'm not from banking stock? And you know what, Rob? That made me want to do it even more. But everywhere I went, they said, no, 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 no. Impossible. You'll go to jail. So I think, well, what will it go to jail for? What do you mean you'll for? go to jail? Yeah. If you try and take money from the public without some form of licence, deposit take, mm. there's a whole realm of problems with that. Right. That's the hardest thing to do without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And we could get into complications of all that, but it's just hard. Mm. However, there's ways and means and things but we'll not get into that today. Maybe we'll do that on another one. Mm -hmm. But what we did is we found a process, a legal process, for to be able to take money from the public. What I wanted to do, I wanted to give the best rate of interest on the high street. I wanted to then lend that money out. So I wanted to give pensioners and hardworking people a really good rate of interest, which at the time was 5%, better than anywhere in the country. Mm -hmm. We then used that money to lend to people and businesses who cannot borrow from the high street bank. We then take the profit from that and pay the overheads and pay for the bank license application and anything that's left, we give to charity. So, we give best rate of interest on our street, lend to businesses who can't borrow, profit to charity. I'm a terrible person, obviously. You know, Fred the Shred loses billions and billions of pounds all over the, the, the world and he gets an knighthood. I try and do the right thing and they, they want to lock me up. So I thought, well, let's do that, it. When you say that, who's well, that? Well, the regulators, the, the, the powers that be, everybody, the bankers mainly. The bankers hate me with a passion. So are the, are the bankers in the system because you're making business harder for them? or? Well, they just don't like what I'm doing. They don't like what I stand for. They think we pay far too much interest. And they just don't like if you're not from the correct stock. Mm. If you're not one of them, you're not invited into their club. Right. Now... So do they get in your way with you trying to get your license? Everywhere I look, there's one of them getting in my way. 
<laughs> but I actually don't care. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have no love loss for bankers. I mean, recently I was on the telly talking about the bankers' bonuses being lifted back up to tens and tens of millions while people are starving. Well, let me tell you something about that, Rob. Something really, really important. Week before last, I got a letter from a, a local school in Con that said, Dave, I'm sorry I don't need a bus or a loan, but I need some help. The kids are coming to school starving. They're hungry. Is there anything you can do whatsoever? So I got back onto them. I said, yes, what do you need? And they said, we want to buy one of them big industrial toasting machines, and we want to get spreads and jams and meats and all these things for kids. We're going to feed them when they come in through the door at school in the morning, the ones that are, that are starving. Marvellous. And I just paid for everything, sent them up. I paid for a year's supply of food, and I said, three months before you get to the end of the year, and before you run out, ring me again, I'll pay for another year's supply of food. Now, obviously, I'm a terrible person. You know, imagine taking me to court and saying, he's giving best rate of interest, he's then lending to people and businesses who can't borrow from the high street bank, and the, the profit is feeding kids. Do you remember Free Deirdre in Coronation Street when they, when they put her in prison? Yeah. Be Free Deirdre, wait! <laughs> Get him out! <laughs> Fred the Shred gets an eye to it. And, uh, and I, get, I just get, you know, pummeled by mm. the organisation, but I'm used to it now. Mm. You know, I've been going 10 years now, Rob. Wow. We've lent over £30 million to thousands of people and businesses. And you have an official licence, do you? No, we're ah. building an official bank. So you we're still going don't have the, an official no, licence? No, and we, we will go through the process. It takes forever. Yeah. But what we have got is the interim licences and the things we need to do the job. There's a three-year waiting list just to give us money. Three-year waiting list. Wow. We're on the high street. Everybody else is shutting. Mm. We'll, we'll be the last man standing. Yeah. And you know what? There's a piece of me that doesn't care how long it takes because it's almost like you'd hang it on the wall and not really want it because I've already done what I set out to do mm. and continue to do what I set out to do. Yeah. We're tiny. I know that. But I don't care. We've we've proved it can be done. We've never, ever, ever had a single complaint to the regulator, ever. Mm. I get audited to death, you know, about four times a year. You know, I'm supposed to probably be only audited maybe once every three or four years. I get audited to death. Wow. But I don't care. Why do you still do it then? Because I can. Mm. And because it's the right thing to do. And do you think that you'll try and scale it? That's a good question. I think for me, um, lending over 30 million out, it is scaled to what I set off to do. You know, I would like to encourage others across the country. I mean, there's just over 1,000 large towns and cities in the UK. If you put a banker Rob, uh, a banker Dave, a, a banker Tracy in each one of those towns and cities, all lending 30 million out, you know, that would be tens and tens and tens of billions. Problem fixed. It's run by the community to benefit the community. There's a team up there now, and they'll be tapping away on the computer, they'll be chatting to people on the phone, and they'll be doing the day-to-day -day stuff. David Henshaw is my right-hand man, right? David's been in the bank since he was 16. He's 75 years old yesterday, right? You will never meet a better, more honest, moral person than David H, right? And he brought manually underwriting. And what manually underwriting is, it's a way of looking at people as people. Rather than a computer 300 miles away making a decision, he will look at how you've paid your bills, 
what have you paid? Maybe you got divorced. Maybe you went through a blip and had a few problems and you've got over it now. And now you can start borrowing again. Maybe you want to start a business. Maybe you want to just get back on your feet. And then after you've got back on your feet, you can make you back into the mainstream and we give you a credit rating again. Mm. So there's a lot of things we do that isn't just about the money. Mm. It's just about getting people back on the ladder again and up and running again. Mm. And I love it daily. Mm. And you know, whoever tries to, to stop us or to, to shut us down or whatever, they just will not succeed. The, the following we've got is colossal, not just in the UK, all over the world. People love what we're doing because mm. it's run by the community to benefit the community. And what do you think about the current banking and financial system? Um, I dislike it with a passion. I think everywhere you look, I mean, HSBC today have said they're going to shut another 200 branches. You know, there's nobody left. My mum is 70 odd years old. She does not understand about apps. She cannot go on a computer and do anything. You know, she has to go into a bank and chat to somebody. And if they've got a problem, you should be able to speak to somebody and that's all going away. Banks want to take your money and invest it through the night on stocks, shares, derivatives, and all the rest of it. What they don't want to do is lend. And I'll give you a good example. One lady in particular called Rachel at Garland's Florist. She rang up in tears saying, I need a loan. I need to speak to Dave really quickly. I've got permission to talk about her because I wrote about her in the book. Um, so I went up to see Rachel. She has a florist shop, fantastic. Went through the shop door. She's there in a mess. I said, what's wrong? She said, I've been to the Yorkshire Bank and I've, uh, I've, I've got a loan for 10,000 pounds to put a shop front. The shop front was rotten. The whole wood was, was falling away. So I've got this builder here today and he's smashing the shop front down. I said, well, if you've got your loan, what, what do you need me for? She said, well, the bank manager came, he had a look, he said yes. He then spent a few days with me um, learning how to flower arrange and things because they were doing a fancy magazine for the Yorkshire, for the Yorkshire Bank, so they were going to put the sales in the magazine, they lend it to businesses and all the rest of it. And then I then paid the deposit to the builder to smash the front down. And then the bank turned around and said, there's a problem. 300 miles away in Scotland, they made a decision not to, not to lend to florists in the Accrington area. Um, they've had some problems with florists in the past and, and they've just decided that it, the computer says no. And she said, well, I've smashed the front of the shop now. Well, I'm ever so sorry, there's nothing we can do because she'd had a picture took with the bank manager and everything, it was in the magazine. She's got the magazine with it's in. So I thought to myself, right, okay, I said, Mac is a bro, Rachel. Let me just watch what's going on. And I sat in the corner of the shop and I watched people come in. I watched the vicar come in. He's sorting flowers out for a wedding. And I watched, I watched people come and go. And she could do the job. And I thought, there'd be no problem here. So I wrote a cheque there and then for the £10,000 and I give it to her. I said, we'll sort the paperwork after. And she did. So she had a picture with me. So she had a picture with the bank manager that said yes and then no. And then she had a picture with me that said yes and did what he said he was going to do and the shop front on. Since then, she had a couple more loans from us. And then recently, poor Rachel passed away uh, during COVID. Um, and I, I think about Rachel a lot, and she's in the back of my mind. Um, uh, and she was a fantastic customer. And I think that, you know, if I ever get really fed up or I'm, I'm under pressure from whatever business, I think about Rachel because like I said, she took three loans, she paid back, I met her, I got to know her really well, and she was just a wonderful, wonderful person, individual. And the vicar said they never, ever met anybody that was caring as she was. 
And uh, if you ask me, what do you do it for? There you go. Mm. People our age. Mm. I don't give a monkeys about the bankers. <laughs> and I could easily call them from my tail. <laughs> Beep. Um, Dave, you, I really feel your energy of passion and enthusiasm and a joy for life. But do you get stressed? And you know, when the bankers are trying to shut you down and when things are going hard and there's recessions, do you get stressed? Um, you know, does Mrs. F see a different side to you? And if you do, how do you handle it and stay so positive? I don't stress this morning. <laughs> Let me tell you for why. So, I tried to stay in the Pullman Hotel, which is just across which the road. Which is where I'm staying? Yes. Yeah. I tried to stay in there because I had a meeting with Netflix and we were having breakfast there. Got a thing through. Um, one of those, um, what do they call invitations to, to meet? And it said 10.30 on it. So I thought, well, I'll come down the night before from Burnley, which I did last night, come down, stay over. Couldn't get a, a room in the uh, in the Pullman because you had them all. <laughs> uh, so I stayed in Leicester Square. Anyway, about 25 past nine, I was up nearly ready to come, thinking I'll get there half an hour early at 10 o'clock, no problem. 25 past nine, got a, a text from the producer who I'm meeting. Um, about the Netflix movie, and they say, oh, we've just arrived, Dave, where are you? I said, you've just arrived? I said, it says half past ten on the uh, on the invitation. No, if you look carefully, the lady's coming from Amsterdam, from, from one of Netflix's headquarters. That's European time, not UK time. UK time's half past nine. So there's everybody from Netflix waiting in the Pullman in the restaurant downstairs. Oh, yeah. Where's Dave? Leicester Square still. <laughs> Let me tell you, that puts you under stress. <laughs> but what can you do? There's nothing you can do. Mm. Deep breath. Let it go over the top of you. Because you can only try and fix the things that you can have some control over. I can't control the traffic. I can't control how fast the taxi driver drives. But what I can do is do my best to mitigate it. Mm. And then while I'm in the taxi, I just crack on with some other work mm. and then when, when I did get here which was only 15-20 minutes later you know they were all eating breakfast and things and, and I was there with a coffee and I just said I'm ever so sorry and just cracked on to doing what I needed to do mm. and we were discussing the, the publicity and the PR for the big mover and do you know what nobody nobody worried about it nobody cared sometimes that stress can build up and it's not helpful for you though mm. you know if you can do something about it then fine but if the problem is something you can't do nothing about and usually it's in here. It's usually a thought mm. that the problem comes. I'm fascinated with the mind. My my uh, dear friend is Rufus Harrington, which is a psych psychotherapist. And I've been friends with him for decades. Um, and my son went on to, to train as a psychotherapist before he joined the police. Um, and that in itself is really interesting when you speak to people about the mind anxiety and things mm. it's all in the mind mm. and there's lots of ways you can get around that i mean fear people find about lots of things especially flying and, and heights and things um and you know you've got to tell yourself or ask yourself what are you actually scared of you know so when i get people in the helicopter that are frightened of going and flying i say like okay what we're going to do is we're going to take off we're going to hover it two foot above the ground and if you don't like it i'm going to land again so we hover two foot above the ground, and they're like, right, okay. I said, now you're flying. Do you like it? Has the engine fell out? Has anything happened? <laughs> engine fell out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, should we go another foot higher? Yeah. Another foot higher. And another foot, and another foot. 
And that's how we can cure people who are scared of flying. Mm. It's not good jumping into an aeroplane and going up to 30,000 feet and saying, how do you feel now? Yeah. Nice and steady. Steady mm. as you go. Yeah. Mm. Um, I can't remember what wise person said this, but they said, we suffer far more in imagination than we do in reality. Um, so how do you change those imagined fears? Because I think this is a really good thing to discuss because um, I remember seeing Donald Trump talking about what he perceives as the difference between the Ivy League Harvard friends he's got who aren't what he says successful and then the billionaire friends he's got who are very successful. And he said the fundamental difference between them is how much pressure and stress they can handle. You know, if you think about Elon Musk taking over Twitter and almost with a smile on his face, getting rid of the most of the staff, walking in with a sink. And you look at someone like Donald Trump and Elon Musk and you think they can handle massive pressure and stress and they don't even really necessarily see it as pressure and stress. And as an entrepreneur like you, who started from nothing like you, who I have, you know, 154 staff now on my payroll. You know, you, you probably have more. You know, we're, we're responsible for a lot of people. A lot of shit can go wrong. <laughs> and, you know, the inland revenue come for you for this and that, even when you're squeaky clean and your reputation can be tattered by people who don't know you. Um, how do you deal with that level of pressure and stress and still come in here with a smile on your face and enjoy what you do? Well, Somebody come along and tried to buy the Bank of Dave off me. And uh, it, it's a bit like that glass there. I'll use that as a, I'll, I remember about the slope, so don't worry. <laughs> and uh, I met him and he said, uh, I'll fund the entire scheme because to open a bank costs millions. Mm. And it takes years and years and years. Um, but I'll, I'll, he's, he's an investment banker. I'll buy it, I'll pay for it all, Dave. I'll give you a big lump of money. You're in on it, I'm 50% in on it, and all the rest of it, he said, I can keep 50%, but he's in charge. Mm. He said, how much do you want? I said, well, I don't want to sell it. No, 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 how much do you want? I said, well, if you want to build it with me, then I'll do a deal with you. Um, he said, well, what we'll do is that we'll throw the money at it, because if you throw enough money at it, you can, you can expedite it. You can do it in three to five years if you throw tens and tens of millions at it. He said, I'll do it, I'll throw all the money at it, and then we'll sell it. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, how much do you want? I said, well, there ain't a number. And he said, well, there's a pad and a piece of paper like that. Write down what you want. Uh, I said, what do you mean what I want? He said, well, within five years, we can be out and done and sold. I said, you're not getting it. He said, well, what's your get out? I said, in time. He said, yeah, what, what's your time scale? I said, 110 years from now. He said, well, you'd be dead. I said, well, I hope not, but it might be, but that's how long I want to keep it for. And he, he couldn't get it. He couldn't, he couldn't believe it's not for sale at an amount of money. Why do you not want to get out? And sometimes in life, things just aren't for sale. A reputation, as I tell my kids all the time, a reputation takes a lifetime to get. You can do that things when you're younger. Don't worry about that. But in time, over time, you'll get the reputation you deserve. A lifetime to get and seconds to lose. And that guy just lost it in 10 seconds in front of me because there wasn't an amount of money I'd sell it for. If he wanted to help build it and do something special with it, fantastic. But then the next thing out of his mouth is, what's the get out, you know, three, five year plan? Mm. You know, and it's like 110 years and it's like eh, eh. Mm. Um, so I think when people say, what's, what's the long-term goal? 
And I think after 20 million, that there isn't nothing you can't buy within reason for that. So after that, it's keeping score anyway. Mm. And I think people that go on to want hundreds of millions or billions, what are they going to do with it? You know, what are they going to do with it? Mm. Are they going to climb up the tree and count it? Mm. You know, they're frightened to death of anybody having anything. You know, why not start some big animal sanctuary? You save thousands and thousands of animals' lives or feed tens and tens of thousands of kids or, or maybe even get a machine to go to Africa. A big lorry, I like that idea as well. A big lorry with loads of doctors and surgeons on and loads of equipment on and people who have been blind with cataracts coming in one hand, well, you know, one side and they're walking up the steps with somebody holding them and they're coming out the other side to see. Imagine that, Rob. Mm. Imagine coming in one side blind and coming out the other side. Now, surely, if we could get a load of lorries over in, in places like Africa with cataracts and you can cure blindness in so many people, surely that's better than climbing up a tree, counting money and buying a big 500 million quid yacht. Because mm. wherever you go with that yacht, there'll always be somebody with a bigger one. There's always going to be somebody with a bigger diesel battery, mm. isn't there? Mm. Well, they're just nuts. And mm. They're chasing something that they actually don't know what they're chasing. Mm. And they'll never, ever, ever end up with any happiness. Mm. That being said, <laughs> you have helicopters, don't yes, you? Yes, I do, yes. And is that because you're rich or is that because it's a passion? I mean, I just want to tell everyone this. Um, I've obviously know you from your great career of Bank of Dave, and, um, but um, the TikTok version of you, my business partner introduced me to. So it's like, Rob, you know Davis, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, it's like, I love this channel. This is my favorite channel because my business partner's just got his, he's just passed the test on his R66, as I told you. And he's like, Dave is just so passionate about helicopters. Um, so yeah, just tell us about that passion. You still need to be rich to own helicopters, don't you? Yes, you do. And there's no doubt about it. You know, I, I don't hide from the fact that we've been successful. And I, I don't hide from the fact that, that I've got a, a helicopter. Um, and I've been flying since I was in my 20s. I flew planes at first because I couldn't afford helicopters. You know, planes back then were 100 quid an hour to fly. And every time I had some spare money, I went and had a ride in a plane mm. to the point where I could get my license. And that's how the aircraft thing started. Um, so I started on planes first. And I used to look at helicopters from the corner of my eye and think, one day, one day, mm. one day. Well, they're about double, double the price to learn, are they? Or <sighs> Probably more, more than yeah. that. Um, and you know, to learn on a helicopter is a fortune, mm. but it's the only thing in the world, bar none, where I go and my mind clears. Mm. Because the thing is trying to kill me the minute I switch it on yeah. to the last turn of the blade, mm. and I kid you not. So when I'm up, when I get really fed up, I look up at the sky and I see a big cloud and I think, I'm going to go sit on that. <laughs> and I fly up to the cloud and I pull the speed back to the same speed as the cloud and I touch the skids down on the cloud and let the cloud pull me along. And I just drop the lever and I go flooding through the cloud and everything just goes. And it's the only thing I've ever found in life that completely de-stresses me from absolutely everything because I'm just trying to stay alive. And it really is. And, yeah. and I make no excuse for it whatsoever. I use it all the time for good causes. I'm flying Father Christmas in, in the next couple of weeks to loads of schools. I do lots and lots of charity events with it, but I use it for work. Mm. I fly around. I, so, you, I mean, so you run it through the business as well? as a, I do, I do. Yeah. and I use it for media. You yeah. know, I've, I'm known for the Bank of Dave, but I think it's important to touch on the other stuff. So... I first started off with Bank of Dave. Bank of Dave 1, 2 and 3. 
which was fighting the fat cats with the last one. I won uh, uh, a BAFTA and, and lots of broadcast awards for the first for the first series. I then went on to make a four part series for America on CNBC, which was called Bank of Day, which had a lot more of America in it. So we looked at how you can open a small financial institution in America. I then went on to, to uh, do a program called The Loan Ranger, because I dislike payday loans with a passion. They prey on the poor and vulnerable. So myself and David H, my right hand man, we went after the payday loan industry and I got Wonga shut down. Wow. And I won a Royal Tommy Society Award for that and another BAFTA. Uh, then I went on to, to do a program, a series called Secret Millions, where I opened a pop-up job centre for kids and I raised £2 million for disadvantaged kids and I opened the pop-up job centres to help them with jobs. And then I went on uh, to do a series called Get Rich Quick, which was a seven-part series about helping people start businesses and then the guide to saving money and the guide to spending money, all these different series. And, and telly become a big part of what I do. So I'm flying all over the country and I'm still running the businesses. We've got a property business, we've got a media business, we've got my biggest companies in America. I have an investment company in America. Um, I've got a financial institution here. I own Burnley Savings and Loans, um, which is separate from the Bank of Dave. The Bank of Dave is the, the media side of things, if you will. Burnley Savings and Loans, the real financial institution uh, with all the licenses and things to do the things that it needs to do. And the, I'm the largest supplier of minibus in the country. We also buy and sell property and rent property out and land. So we really, really stretched across lots and lots of different genres. Mm. And would you therefore call yourself a serial entrepreneur? I'm just Dave from Burnley. He's an ordinary guy that does extraordinary things, you know. Um, you know, I'm going to, on way home, I'm going to get a bag of prawn cocktail crisps on train and a can of pop. I'll sit in uh, premium, not in first class, but I'll, I'll give 25 quid to have a big comfy chair on the way home because I don't see first class as value for money. You know, and I'll sit mm. on train and I'll eat the prawn cocktail crisps and drink the pop and watch a film on the way home. Mm. I'm just very, very normal. Mm. Um, and other than when I go off into the world of telly or media or whatever, you know, when I go home, I genuinely will be asked, mm. call me fast or cottage party tea, and never mind all that nonsense of who you've met. <laughs> she genuinely don't care. She's been to the BAFTAs with me three times, you know. Yeah. She genuinely doesn't get starstruck. She's not interested in the slightest. Mm. She's so down to earth. She comes from Wales. And she's so down to earth, it's un untrue. And I think that keeps you grounded because mm. it's very, very easy in the world of media, especially with the, with the, the Hollywood movie stuff that's just started with me. It's mm. very easy to end up up your own arse, <laughs> as she tells me on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk about the Netflix and you know ho the Hollywood movie in a moment. I kind of want to finish on that part because I feel like that's the, the best way to finish this interview. Um, I want to have a little bit of a fun round, if you're up for it, Dave. Sure, fire away. So um, I personally love talking about money because I think that too much of British culture doesn't like talking about money. Okay. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about money. And let's be honest, people are going to be more inspired by you, the fact that you've made money, than of the fact if you didn't. So I'm just going to have a little bit of fun talking about money, if you're up for it. Sure, fire All right, away. great. Um, so, what's the most amount of money you've ever made in either a transaction or a business deal or a company? One of the biggest money mistakes I've ever done, which is uh, along the same sort of lines, is sometimes your biggest mistakes in life is, is omission rather than commission. Right. Now, I bought 2,000 shares of MasterCard many years ago 
uh, for a, a just over a hundred thousand pounds per per thousand shares. So they were about two hundred and odd thousand dollars, and they went up uh, eighteen dollars. The Mastercard. Uh, now, met, I sold them at, at eighteen dollars profit a few months later. Thirty-six thousand dollars profit. Thinking that's not bad for a few months. On to the next thing. If I'd have kept them today, them shares would have been well worth over probably two and a half, three million dollars. Wow. So that's an amount of money that you can lose, mm. but that doesn't show up on traditional accounting methods. No. That's commission rather than omission. Mm. What's the most amount of money you've ever lost? That. Oh, okay. <laughs> About three million quid. <laughs> but there's probably more than that because the bank license has cost over three million so far. And wow. I'm not there yet. Yeah. So that the time I'm done with that, I'll have done well over five, six million in just on the bank license alone. Mm. And remember, I'm doing it for good causes. Yeah. Um, and the money, the profit will always be given to charity. Mm. So that will never ever change. I get offered fortunes to do adverts. Not interested under any circumstances whatsoever. How do you mean do adverts? As in sell someone else's. I get banks asking me. Oh, really? You know, will, I, will, I, will I advertise this or that? Are you mad? You know, or have they offered you good money? R- masses amounts. I get offered insurance companies, banks, financial institutions. And you think, I couldn't think of a worse. You know, mm. I remember a bank manager coming to me and saying, look, Dave, you know, when all that, that trouble hit the, uh, hit the headlines of, of the 2008-2009 crisis, and my own bank manager come, he said, right, we've been given some money, Dave. Um, how much do you want? I said, well, I don't need any money. He said, I know you don't, but the, the governments give us a lot of money to lend out, but we only want to lend it to people we know we'll get it back off. Mm. I said, so you've been given money to lend to businesses who are really struggling, and you come to people like me, they don't need it. How's that work? Mm. I said, you need to get out of the office before I throw you out <laughs> and go and find somebody that needs it and give it to them. Mm. That's the problem with money in this country, Rob. It's always given to them that don't need it. Yeah, well, you said, what was it you said about the banks and the rain yeah. and the umbrella? That's right. Mm. Banks will give you an umbrella when it's sunny and they will take it off you when it starts to rain. Mm. You know, they have no interest in you. You know, I've just lent some money to a lady who's buying a, a big oven, right? A great big oven for dog biscuits. She bakes dog biscuits, right? Um, and she's got a little unit in Accrington that's just opened up and she needs five and a half thousand quid for, a, for, for an oven. Now, she went to the bank and they're just not interested. Five and a half grand, they're thinking, well, we can make a couple of percent on interest. They just want to send that off for stocks and shares and investments and things. Mm. They're not interested in real people. But that is what gets the economy going. Real people, real businesses. You know, that, that, that business in Accrington, I promise you, in 12 months' time, I'll come back and do another podcast with you. And she'll be flying, mm. you know. Maybe not an helicopter. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she'll have a van. Yeah. <laughs> What's the total amount of money you've given away, would you say? Huge sums of money we give away. Millions? I, I wouldn't, you know what? I've never been asked that and it's not something I'd be comfortable answering because it's something that I have a big, a big group of companies that give money away. So mm. I, that's something I probably wouldn't want on the podcast. Mm. And by the way, I don't ask it for any other way other than to get people more comfortable talking about money. Yeah. Because... People, I don't mind talking people, about people money. might not. Here's the funny thing: you're you're quite happy to promote your business, but not maybe so comfortable talking about how much good you're doing in the world in terms of the amount of money. Well, we've lent thirty million out, um, 
and we've helped thousands of people, not just charities, but thousands of people get loans who couldn't borrow money. So it, it, that could be perceived for a huge number, mm. but it's not, it, it's not about the money. It's about showing it can be done. It doesn't matter if you did it, you know, you, you opened a financial institution with a hundred grand, because it, it, it works. Mm. And even if you're lending a small amount of money to somebody that can't borrow, you can start something. Yeah. You know, I had a visit from um, Professor Mohammed Yusuf, who, who won the Nobel Peace Prize and he opened the Olympics. And I have a picture I'll show you after. Um, and he visited Burnley Savings and Loans all the way, travelled thousands of miles to meet me. And he gives loans for two or three hundred pounds of the Grameen Bank to ladies out in India uh, to, to buy a sewing machine and they start a business or he mm. lend money to have a phone to start a business. So it can be a very small amount of money. It doesn't have to be a large amount of money to make a difference. Mm. It can be a very small amount of money. But to that person, it's everything in the world. Mm. Remember when I didn't have the price of a chip butter? Mm. Mm. So you've got to, how do you start with nothing? Mm. People always ask me, Rob, how much is enough? So how much is enough? I think anything over 20 million. Um, after that, it's keeping score. Mm. Um, and when you go, you can't take it with you. So it's very important you have a plan for it. Mm. Please, please don't leave it to the next generation. Mm. Leave something. Yeah. In case something goes wrong, leave. You know, if you leave something to to, to make sure the children are going to be healthy and they're going to, you know, have, have, have money just in case something goes really badly wrong. But to leave a huge amount of money is a terrible thing. Mm. I actually think this is a really good discussion point because um, I think it's good to know how much the amount is enough. Because sometimes if you never stop chasing, that can be tiring. Sometimes what are you chasing it for? Um, and so when people openly say, well, actually, anything above 20 million is just, well, it's just a bigger helicopter and I've got a nice helicopter. Well, you get to a point where it's, it's, it's you know, if you've got a Ferrari and you've got a Range Rover to drive and you've got aircraft and you've got, you know, if there's, my children have left, my grandchildren are growing up, um, there's me and the wife and the dog in a five-seater helicopter. How many more seats do I need, bro? You know, um, the, the the Ferrari. I love I love cars. I, Which I Ferrari say, is it? I have a Ferrari F8 Tributo convertible. Ah, oh, lovely. Um, and I'm very lucky, and and I have some wonderful things. But once you've got the cars and the home and the the place, and you and you're healthy, and um, and your family's healthy, and you know, and you can afford to. To, to send them to if something's wrong with them you can afford to send them to be fixed if, if, if need be and you've got a few quid spare and you've got the clothes you want and the holidays and all the things you think you want mm. then you've got to start thinking what do I really want and what am I going to do now for the next 20 30 years mm. you know I'm 50 I hope I've got 20 left my dad used to say you get three score a year and 10 and he died at 69 so he just missed <laughs> <laughs> um, and it you know it's what you want to do is you want to make a difference because you come with nothing and you go with nothing. Mm. So the bit in between, try and make a difference. Mm. Another reason why I like talking about this is because um, I like how specific you've been with the 20 million. Because as you know, being a multimillionaire, one million is not enough. And, uh, uh, well, it depends uh, what you're going to do with it. If, you, if you're going to live frugally, a million pound is probably enough. If you put it in the S&P 500 tracker index, it's going to give you 8 to 9% a year. It's going to give you what? 80, 
what would you get off that? 80,000? Yeah, and then you take tax off. I take tax off that, mm. you're going to get 40,000. You know, you're going to end up with £800 a week. But really, a lot you've of got people, build up to that. You know, if you live in Burnley, £800 a week's a fortune. You mm. live in London, it's a different thing altogether. So it really is about where you live in the world, yeah. where you live in the country, and, and what your aspirations are. If you want to drive around in, in Ferraris and fly jet helicopters, you're going to need more. Mm. You know, if you if you want to um, live in a, a top two down, which is what, what I grew up in, you know, we, we, we only had an outside toilet. We didn't have an inside bathroom. We, we got bathed in a hot, in a hot tub. <laughs> it were a tin bath Freudian in front of the fire. It were hot and it were a tub. But it, were, it weren't the hot tub that you're imagining. So we lived on John Street. We saw about the knocked it down and outside there were gas tar in between all the cobbles. Um, if you got a, a glass like that, Rob, and you put it against a gas tar when it was sunny, it'd go soft. And you could play with it like plasticine. Mm. And we, we went on the tip, me and my brother. I've got a brother that's five years older than me, Andrew. And me and my brother would go and get old wheels off the uh, off the tip and some old wood without the builder go-kart or an old bag. And that's all we had. We had nothing, nothing. Um, but we had each other and we had friends and we learned to live mm. with nothing. Mm. So, you, you know... It's a difficult one, you're saying a million into enough. Some people, that'd be all they need. But people think money is going to bring happiness, and it doesn't. Money will bring you a different box of problems. If you haven't got enough money to pay the gas and electric, that's a huge problem. If you can't afford to eat, that's a huge problem. Um, you get to a certain point where more money will bring more problems. Like? Like, for instance, if you're buying land, or you're buying a bigger house, you'll have more fences around it. People will try and knock the fences down. People will try and put the sheep in them fields. People will try and walk through your field. People will try and steal things off you. The more things you have, the more problems it brings. Yeah. Security. And the more stress yeah. it brings. Mm. That's why a lot of people that win the lottery get really stressed. Mm. But so is having nothing, because I know what that's like as well. Yeah. Not, not being able to eat. Mm. I know what that's like. So there's somewhere in between. So I think you get to a certain amount, and mm. that's plenty. And anything after that, just give it away. Mm. So you're a TV star, so I'm going to picture a new TV show. It's called Quickest Way to a Million. And you've got to compete with other millionaires who've taken all, you've had all your money given away. You're starting with zero. How do you beat all these other millionaires at making your first million? Well, I think you'd have to think outside the box now because things are completely different about this. It's not going around, going around a lot of garages seeing if somebody will lend me a vehicle because the world's moved on. I would go and use communication skills. So if any of your uh, viewers or listeners want to really understand how they can improve their net worth, communication, learn to communicate better. Take a Dale Carnegie course. Get used to talking to people. Sell yourself. You will improve your net worth by the minimum of 50% from the first week you do that from. Then I'd go and get a job working for somebody for a while, selling something that they've got. So they've got the money to buy the product. I will work for them selling online. I'd set something up. I would look for something that's selling the best. I would work for somebody and I would be watching everything. I'd be taking notes. I'd be thinking, right, where does he buy that from? Where did they sell that? Where, what's the best seller? What's the worst seller? How much do I need? Where do they sell that product? And I'd work hard for them and I'd make them money. And I would really, really get to grips with that business. And then the minute I thought I knew enough, I would take the ideas and I would do it myself. Um, it's no good trying to reinvent the wheel, Rob. The wheel goes round brilliantly. Steal somebody else's ideas. <laughs> That's the best way. Mm, it's right. like a pub. If you want to, you want to, somebody out there wants to start a pub. A lot of people, a pub or restaurants, the dream. And I get that. But rather than just starting a pub, 
go and get a job in a pub or a mm. restaurant. Get a job behind the bar, a really popular one, one that's really busy. Work out what sells best, what's the best food, what's the best beer, what sells best, what nights are the quiz nights, what quizzes work best. The decor, somebody will have come along and paid a fortune for an architect to design all the decor. Just borrow all the ideas, take pictures of everything, find out where the beer comes from, what sells best. Can you buy beer that's almost out of date but not out of date and you can sell that before it comes out of date? What can you do? What food sells best? What times of day is best? Rather than spending years finding out yourself, you go work for somebody for three to six months and this works for any industry. Mm. You can go and borrow the ideas, then go do it yourself. Mm. What's the most brutal lesson in business you've ever had? Being at the side of the road on the motorway where people passing you 70 mile an hour in the rain and snow with a vehicle that's broke down that you know is a serious problem and you've got no money left to fix it. You're done, but you've got to keep going. And what did you learn from that hard lesson? Rule number three and rule number four. Rule number three is never give up. And rule number four, never, ever give up. How do you pick yourself up when you're down? Literally, you pick yourself up, you brush yourself down, you suck it up and you get on with it because there's always somebody having a worse day than you. Mm. You know, people say there's nothing good about getting old, and I think that's absolutely ridiculous, because the thing about getting old is, some people don't get that opportunity. Mm. My dad didn't. Mm. You know, if I get old, that's marvellous, and I don't care if I get creaky, or if I get wrinkles, or more of my hair falls out, I don't care. I've been given an opportunity that other people don't always get, and I'm gonna live every day to the max. I love that. How do you feel about the energy companies? <laughs> I know I kind of know this because we talked off camera. Yeah, but... But I've got to be careful what to say about this, but I, I dislike the energy companies like I dislike the payday loans. How can I have a friend and he's in his 70s and he's called Stephen and he comes in my local cafe that I, got, that I go in, one of the businesses we help actually. And um, we help him with publicity and all sorts of things. Lovely, lovely people. Um, and Stephen goes in the cafe and he says to me now that he's, he's going home later, he's staying in the supermarket longer, he's frightened to death of turning the heating on, he's frightened to death of turning the lights on, he's worked all his life, he doesn't want handouts, Rob. He told me, he doesn't want money from the government, he just wants to be able to pay his bills. He were, he's been an engineer all his life, he's lives by himself in a two-up, two-down, and he just wants to be able to pay his bills at 70-odd years old. Now, how can you have a man like him who's got an extra blanket on him Right, he will not turn the fire on and he has a little lamp on it at corner of the room, frightened to death that the energy companies are going to be sending him a big bill. How can that be? You know, how can we have people that have worked all their life, paid into the system, done all the right things, and they cannot afford to pay the gas and electric in modern times? How have we got kids coming to school hungry? It's bonkers. Mm. Yet the big, big energy companies are paying billions in, 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 in profits and they're paying the staff millions in bonuses. How are we letting that happen? Who's in charge? You know, hello, you know, take some money off them and put it into the system to the people that need it. There needs to be a net for people to fall on. They need to be able to bounce back up and back into the system and contribute back into the system. Mm. You know, we cannot have a society where we're not looking after those who have contributed all their lives, but yet we're saying it's okay for the giants to make billions in profit. Mm. That's wrong. That's like giving them, then the banks, you know, lift the bonus cap again, but making people starve. We've got everything just mixed up.
Mm. Is there going to be an electricity company of Dave? <laughs> I couldn't possibly mention no. I'm not. I'm not even allowed to even mention that in a. So we'd have to take that out of the podcast. So I wouldn't be allowed to even mention that yeah. in the slightest. Not no even. Not even hint at it. All right. Yet. Yeah. Yet. Okay. I'll come and do it for you when, when we can. Yeah. But I've been so much trouble. I went to once more with Netflix, but I've been so much trouble. <laughs> Look, you've got full ed- editorial control, yeah. so don't worry about that. Yeah. But that still sounds exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think of the current education system and what one thing would you change about it? Uh, I think the education system works for lots of people who can suck in information and then go and uh, repeat it somewhere. I think when you get lost in a, in a, if you're slightly different, like I, I, I just, if you give me a list of things to learn, lines, I couldn't do it. When I'm doing TV shows and TV programs, they don't give me lines. They said to me, look, if we wanted somebody else's words, Dave, we'd get them to come on program. We want your words. And my words come from here. I can't remember things. I can't, I can't, I can't learn a script, but neither do I want to. Mm. You know, um, I, I, what I would do is I would look at individuals and if I saw a skill in them, I call it it. If I saw a little bit of it in them, I'd help pull that out. And maybe over the next few few months, we'll do some podcasts about it mm. and, and, and try and teach people how they can see it and pull it out of them. Mm. And then you can really let that run. There's a lot of kids out there get left behind and they've got so many skills, but unless they can do it a certain way and pass an all level, I've got nothing. I've got a CSE, I've got nothing. Mm. You know, if you leave school with no qualifications, it's a tough place to be, but there is a way forwards. Mm. And it's what I talked about earlier, communication skills. Mm. We can teach that. If you were Prime Minister, what's the first thing you would change in your first day in office? I'd try and make things fairer for people. Um, I agree, those with the most money should pay the biggest amount of tax. I completely get that. Um, And those with the most should bear more of the burden. Um, I would create a net for people to fall on that then springs them back up into society to help them get forward. Not just leave them there, spring them back up. Mm. And and I think that uh, there's a lot of vulnerable people out there that get left behind and and I'd probably, for not a great deal of money, we could benefit their lives exponentially. Mm. And we could probably go to some of these huge big corporate companies who are paying nothing because they've got the best accountants in the world and probably get something off them that could benefit you know, the, the, the British people. Mm. You don't have to take a huge amount of extra tax off all these billion pound and dollar companies, do you, to put potentially trillions into the economy. I mean, if you, here's the thing that pisses me off, Dave. You've, you've got the sort of the lower level rich. They, the small business that does a million a year in revenue or less, a few hundred in grand a year in revenue or the new millionaire that's just got their net worth to a million. And they're really heavily taxed, um, really heavily taxed. Yet you've got people who are worth tens of billions and companies that do hundreds of billions and they can pay virtually nothing. So what if just 5% more tax on the billions and a bit less tax on those 
low-level millions, the new rich. I call them the working-class rich. That's kind of what I see myself as. Not a billionaire, but I'm the working-class rich. I do a lot for my community. We pay millions in tax. But it's a lot fucking harder now because the tax is a lot fucking higher. 20% VAT, 25% corp, 45% income, national insurance, pension contributions. Yeah, if you want a pound, you're going to end up with 30p. Yeah. If you want to go and buy a Mars bar, you're going to end up with 30p. If you're going to buy a truck or something, you'll end up with a bit more mm. to buy a truck. But yeah. But what I would do is I'd look at these massive corporates that are just not paying anything. And I'd start there. Mm. You start with the big numbers first. Like you do in a business when you're trying to save overage, you start with the big bills first and work your way down. Why aren't they taxed? Because they have the power to do windfall taxes. They have the power. Well, I think, I think it's this, right? Imagine getting on an aeroplane with somebody that's read all the books, right? It's a little bit like sending our children to a school or a, or a college or a university, anywhere in the country, for a business studying course, run by a teacher that's never actually run a business, right? It's a bit like getting on a plane with somebody that's watched all the DVDs, <laughs> read all the books, but never actually took off. Yeah. And uh, you know, a lot of um, what's happening in the world is run by people, not just in this country, it's run by people that's never actually run a business. Mm. You know, That, to me, is a massive problem. <laughs> Massive. It's a bit like me trying to be a hairdresser. You know, <laughs> I've never cut anybody's hair, mine falls out, yeah. you know, so I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to be an hairdresser. If I need to go to a surgeon to have something done with me, uh, I wouldn't, I'd want to go to somebody that's done it before. Mm. You know, mm. I wouldn't send my kids somewhere that's, um, that they've never actually run a business. And uh, a lot of teachers and things, they've never actually, you know, they teach these sorts of things and never actually run one, mm. which I'm, is I'm, a worrying fact. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and what, why hasn't the government got more people who've actually run real businesses then? And I think some of them have, you know, I'm very bipartisan. I'm not bothered who's in as long as they're going to do the best. We need honest, ethical, moral people here and abroad running it for the right reasons. Preferably somebody that's maybe done well in life, that's got all the money they need, so they don't have to think about how can we fiddle in this. Mm. How can we get decent, honest, ethical, moral people into government? People say to me all the time, why don't you do in politics? Because I've got no qualifications. You have to have degrees. You have to have all these different qualifications. I was on a building site as a builder's labourer at 16. You know, I didn't get the chance to go to college or university. Mm. But there's plenty of decent, honest, ethical people out there. And I think this about America. I think, why do you have to look at people like Trump and Biden and all the rest of it, you know, in the 80s and 90s? Surely there's somebody younger who's full of energy, who's honest. Mm. You're 350, 400 million people out there. Surely there's one man or woman that's decent, mm. honest, ethical, moral, who can have a go, mm. that's preferably run a business or run something, a really you know, decent, honest person, maybe had a big family, understands what it's like to have nothing. Mm. It can't be that difficult to find. Mm. But it appears that they keep giving the same people another go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the world is a little bit, a little bit fucked, would you say? <laughs> it's bonkers. Yeah, bo that's a better word, bonkers. Right, Dave, we always finish with a quick fire round. So ideally 15, 20 second answers, um, but take your time. Um, so the first question is, what's the best advice you ever remember receiving? Um, I like to think about things, so I don't like to be too tied up in, in seconds, because I like to give the right answer. 
Um, I think lifetime to get, seconds to lose, reputation. Um, surround yourself with good people and good things will happen. Um, when you're looking around a room, look at the person you admire the most, Rob. It's very important. And, and write down the thing you admire about them. So if you look around the room and you think, well, that person's on time a lot, that person is, is honest, is ethical, is moral, you know, I like that person for that reason. Write it down. And then look around the room and think, why do you not like that other person? Well, they're always late, they've got problems, they, they, they tell lies, they, they, they're not honest. And then look at the, the, the answers and think, well, I want to be more like that person and less like that. And that's a good way to do it. Mm. Become the person you want to be. Mm. Surround yourself with good people and good things will happen. What's the worst advice you ever remember receiving? You've Other got than don't start a bank. Yeah. <laughs> you, I think somebody saying you'll not make nothing of yourself because you don't have to have qualifications. There is another way. I mean, I know that Jeremy Clarkson, every year when A-levels come out, he says, well, look, you know, I'm sat in my Bentley on my way to the south of France at the moment and, you know, and I've got two E's and a C or something, you know, but in real world, qualifications are important, but if you don't get them, try your best, but if you don't get them, there is another way, vocational. If you can learn to communicate, I promise you, you will never, ever go hungry. Mm. What's the biggest mistake you think you've ever made in your life? Business mistake or? This is the Dave show, you can answer however you want. I think, I mean, I got involved in a staging company that lost money um, and we broke even in the end. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes because at the time, it's only 20, 30 grand many, many years ago. Um, I feel very glamorous and it felt very sexy and we were going to go to Glastonbury and do all these stage shows and things. Uh, but when it were really, you know, when the, when the stage was stuck in the mud and you needed this big unimog to pull it out and there were all sorts of, of extra costs and, mm. and, 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 and uh, lots and lots of problems within the, 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 that industry. It weren't as sexy as first thought. Mm. And that amount of money back then if I'd have then invested it like I do in my company in America, uh, it would have been a colossal amount of money today. So that's probably uh, mm. one of the bigger mistakes I've made. But listen, if you don't fail at something, you ain't trying hard enough. Mm. Um, and, I, and you'll never ever get full potential. Throw the kitchen sink at it, and, uh, and at the end, something good will come of it. Mm. What would you say is the achievement you're most proud of in your life? Uh, probably the bank of days, probably the... Uh, the thing that, that I love the most. Uh, I don't take a penny. Uh, okay. I've owned it for 10 years. Um, gives me a lot of stress. Uh, but it's, uh, I love it dearly. It mm. brought so many opportunities. That, I'm sorry, I've got one of those opportunities. You know, I've made all these different TV shows and programs and documentaries, but I might as well change my name to Bank of Day. Because <laughs> With people on the way here, Bank of Dave! Yeah, you know, yeah. The middle name's I, of. I bet they don't know your surname at <laughs> all. No, a no. <laughs> yeah, bit of middle name's yeah. of. Love that. Um, what's your biggest regret, Dave? Uh, not having more kids. And how many kids do you have? Two. And how many would you have had if you could go back? More. <laughs> two plus one or two <laughs> plus three? No, no, but more. More. How would you sell anything to anyone? Be passionate. Believe in yourself. Make sure the product you're selling is what you'd want to buy if the shoe was on the other foot. It's a bit like when you, th this is a good one for employers. 
if you're employing somebody, and I know you employ a lot of people, when you're employing somebody, treat them how you'd want to be treated if the shoe was on the other foot. Have a think about what they would want. Because I promise you, if you treat people right, decent, honest, ethical, moral people, and you treat them how you'd want to be treated, if the shoe was on the other foot, nobody ever leaves. Nobody mm. ever leaves. So I think that's a big one. Mm. Will you ever buy Burnley Football Club? Maybe, one day. Right, Netflix. You've got some massive stuff going on, haven't you? And share what you're comfortable and you're allowed to say, but I'd love to hear about the Hollywood, the Netflix. Well, yes. Uh, Builders Labourer, 16, to a Hollywood movie a few years later. So that's a few more years than you, a few years later. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, amazing. So 18 months, two years ago, I got a phone call from a guy in Hollywood, like you do when you come from Burnley. <laughs> and they're saying, Dave, we want to make uh, a movie about your life. I thought, wow, where did that come from? And what had happened is, he was out in Hollywood having dinner. There's a guy called um, Piers Ashworth. And Piers Ashworth wrote Mission Impossible for Tom Cruise. Ooh. So he writes a lot of big movies. And uh, he was out in Hollywood having dinner with the voiceover guy from the Bank of Dave. And uh, the voiceover guy's gone out to America and he's made these huge big movie voiceovers and he's become a really big voiceover guy in America. So they're out in Hollywood having dinner, discussing, and uh, Piers had just made a movie in Britain called Fisherman's Friends, about a group of fishermen that go to Glastonbury. That ended up being a big, big hit. They've just actually released Fisherman's Friends too, actually. That's just about to go all over the world. And uh, he was having dinner with the guy from, um, from the Bank of Day voiceover. And he said, look, I'm looking for another British mover, a feel-good mover. Do you know anybody? And this guy said, oh, you want to meet Dave? Bank of Day, off, middle name. <laughs> uh, he said, do you want to meet him? He's out there. <laughs> he's, he's bonkers and he's out there. So... He got in touch with lots of people. He watched a lot of my programs. He read my books. And he um, he said to me, uh, he got in touch and he said, Dave, you know, I, I just want to make a movie about your life. And I said, well, better get yourself over to Burnley then. So he come from Hollywood to Burnley and he met me at Burnley Savings and Loans in Burnley Centre and uh, had a chat to him. And I thought, well, I believe in this guy. He's going to do a good job of this. He said, I want to make a, a real feel-good movie. And I thought, fantastic. And that's how it all started. And then one thing led to another, then Netflix got involved and they said, oh, we love this idea, can we do it with you? And that become 10 times bigger as soon as Netflix get involved. And then, you know, all these Hollywood actors, the guy that plays me um, is a guy called Rory Kinnear. Uh, you might remember his father, Roy Kinnear. Um, and uh, Roy Kinnear was mega, mega famous. And Rory Kinnear plays Tanner in Bond. Huh. Uh, but he's made tons and tons of movies, won loads and loads of awards, you're a proper, proper actor. And he looks more like me than I do, <laughs> which is really scary, because when he come to my house, he knocked on the door, I opened the door, he said, meet Dave, meet you. And I thought, oh! Um, and his voice coach and his, uh, his movement coach were showing him what to do, and I'm not kidding, it's scary. Um, and then, the, with Netflix being involved, they said, why don't we have a leading lady, Phoebe? So Phoebe Denever is the leading lady. She was the lead in Bridgerton, which is Netflix's biggest hit. Mm. And then Joel Fry got involved from Game of Thrones. And then uh, Hugh Bonneville um, from um, 
she's done millions of movies, but recently Paddington is also uh, Downton Abbey. Um, Hugh's just amazing. Uh, and all these different actors, there's so many more that I can't release yet, but all these Hollywood actors turning up in Burnley, you know, send for the universe, where else can you be? You know, and it, that's where it all started. And I said, as long as you're gonna film it, you know, a big part of it in Burnley in the surrounding area. So the premiere's uh, in January, and uh, that's in Burnley. Where wow. else? <laughs> and, and I googled it, you know, have you ever had a premiere in Burnley before? Hollywood movies, it didn't take long. <laughs> and, you know, and they said, well, why don't you have it in London? Why are you having London? I'm in Burnley. That's what it's all about. Mm. So all these actors and stuff are coming up to Burnley to the premiere, <laughs> and there's a guy there in the, in the, in the butchers making some Burnley pies for the, we're all going to have a bank of pie. Mm. And, and the, the local carpet guy is doing a, a red carpet for it, and there's an electrician that's doing some lights for it, and it's mm. been in the Burnley cinema, in the real cinema in Burnley. Um, and it's, it's, it's you know, imagine hundreds of millions of people around the world seeing, seeing the film. Mm. Um, it, it is a biopic about my life, but it's also a, a feel-good film, a rom-com, um, and it's just got everything that you'd want in a movie, a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know. It starts off with a real problem, and the middle gets, gets, gets good, and, mm. and at the end, hopefully there's a happy ending, you mm. know. Wow, and how does it feel that that's happening about your life? Well, telly's one thing. I've made lots of telly programmes, and seeing myself on telly's one thing, but watching a movie, because I've seen it, you know, I've been very lucky to, to, to have a sneak preview, actually watching somebody else play you on stage, and there's some parts in it, that one in particular that I can't say, I'll tell you off camera, but what I can't say is exactly what it is, but there were one day where, in fact, this is a question you asked me earlier, you know, what's the biggest thing in your life that, you know, one of the big days of your life, and I watched this thing happen in this huge place, and I thought, wow, and I'll show you after, and it'll blow your mind. There's something that happens in the movie that's just another, another level, and when these guys turned up, to be part of it, and they come through, and I just, I can't believe this, and all this studio was all blacked out, because we couldn't let anybody see what was happening, and uh, I think, I thought, if nothing else happens in my life, that's it, picked, just by being able to watch this bit, Wow! and that really is something special, mm. and after the podcast today, I'll show you, but you must keep it secret. I'll keep it a secret, don't worry. When is it out, so that everyone can get Gen ready and watch? January 23. January 2023. Wow, yeah. that's really soon. Yeah, well, I've been, we've been filming it for over a year. We should maybe time this to go out then. That would probably be good. We always have, like, uh, quite a long bank of content. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we do something like Because in January, I can talk about it properly, what's in it. Okay. So maybe we could do something yeah. a bit more pitched. You can Come maybe send some of this out in December, and then we'll, we'll put, the, you know, just you can talk about the Netflix stuff. Yeah. Because you'll be one of the first to talk about it. Okay, uh, we'll do that. And yeah. then as we get a bit nearer, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm backwards and forwards with Netflix all the time now, just off camera, just for a minute. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things off camera that has to be really important. I don't want to mention too much about my net worth. Obviously, some of it's okay. Well, we, I, we didn't ask that. No, did we, that's so, right. Yeah. And I don't like talking about what we give to charity because we've got some ongoing things in a big way, and I'm really careful about that. I've never answered that question for any journalist in my life. So that's really important to me. Everything else I've said is fair game. Right. Um, but I will come back and I'll do once I've once I've done a little bit more because I've only watched it once and the first time you watch it you can't take it all in mm. 
Um, but there's businesses in it who we've helped who are in it. Um, I play a cameo in it. Oh, nice. Uh, I'll show you a picture of me after. <laughs> you can't tell anybody which, who I am because I'm going to run a competition so you can find me. <laughs> and then at the end, it shows us outside, Bank of Dave and all the yeah. team and stuff. And, and Netflix have been amazing. You know, they've, they wanted to, to, to make it um, special. Mm. Uh, and having them on board were just another level. Wow. So, Dave, this show is called Disruptors. What does the word disruptive mean to you? Like, I really wanted to have you on the show and we fought a good while to make this happen because I think you embody disruptive. Who starts a bank in Burnley and challenges the institutions? Well, Dave does. So what does the word disruptive mean to you? It means taking on institutions. But when you feel strongly about something, it's about going all the way. And when I was in the depths of dealing with Burnley Savings and Loans Bank of Dave right at the beginning. And we were in all sorts of trouble because the big banks really, really tried hard to shut us down, to find anything on me at all. Um, and when I was really, really in the deepest, darkest place of thinking, oh, you know, am I going to be able to do this? Um, that is when you get that thing, that special it inside that comes out and you think, no, we'll go after them. Mm. Because I was willing to go all the way, if need be. I was willing to go all the way. And wherever that took me, whether that got me in even more trouble, I didn't care. Because I just thought, I'm going to stand up in front of the judge and I'm going to say, look, I want to give people the best rate of interest in the country. I want to lend to people who can't borrow from the High Street Bank and I want to give the profit to charity. If that's a terrible thing, then do with me what you will. But that is what I want to do and that's what I believe in. Mm. And recently, I met a very, very powerful minister. I won't say who it is. And he said to me, when it was all going on, they didn't know whether to, 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 to get me in more trouble or to give me an award. <laughs> because deep down inside, the country had got behind me. Mm. The Telegraph did a survey and half the country, half the population of Britain want to bank with me. Wow. They can't do because mm. we're tiny. Yeah. But what we can do is use that brand to inspire others. That's why I won't do adverts. I'm mm. not interested. You can pay me anything you want, I'm not interested. Mm. You know, whatever Burnley Savings and Loans makes after the bank license has been paid for will always, always go back to society. Mm. Um, and it will go back where it come from. And, and that's what it's about. Mm. I want to be there. That, that guy that offered me a lot of money to buy it outright, it's not for sale at any price and never will be. So if anybody's listening, it isn't for sale. There isn't a number big enough because I just wouldn't sell it. Mm. Um, it's there to show that if you put your mind to it, Rob, you can achieve anything. Mm. Amen. And if you were to pick one book that you've written that we should go and read first and one social channel that you're on that you, we should go and follow you first on, what would they be? Well, I'm going to give you a book today. Let me give it to you now and then you can, oh, you thank can have you. a look at it. It's just in between my underpants and my socks in my back. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. So I do apologise in advance. Too much information, though. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> And it's and and it's in between my prawn cocktail crisps <laughs> and my revels. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. And so that's the Bank of Dave book. Right. And it's the, a Sunday Times bestseller and the profits go to charity. So the title is Bank of Dave? Yeah. Can people get it on audio as well? Uh, no, but oh. maybe we could we can maybe turn some of it into an yeah. audio. We should. Uh, it starts off at school and it goes through to just at the beginning of the Bank of Dave, yeah. and I'm just writing the next one now that takes you up to where we are today, where we've lent over 30 million out. Wow. 
And then social media? Social media, they can get me at Fishwick David on Twitter and on TikTok at Banker Dave. And your TikToks, you do a lot of the helicopter stuff. That's what I, I do. do helicopter stuff, but I also throw one or two videos in about how you can start with nothing. Because I want to try and inspire people. And I'll do some more with yourself. I've enjoyed doing today, so I will do some Thank more you. with you. And I think that we can, if we can make a difference to people's lives, that, that's where I get a real kick out of mm. things, you know. Um, I think it's, if we can pass things on and other people can have a go, how fab is that? When I mm. go past a little cafe that I've helped or a little hairdressers or a little business where I've lent money to and I can see them cooking inside and I can see people cutting hair and things and I, or there's a little furniture shop there in Burnley and I go past and there's somebody buying a mirror or, or a mattress or something and I think, do you know what? That's special. Mm. That's what I get a kick out of. Mm. What a great way to finish. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.